Hello and welcome to Cruise and Four Reviewsin, the podcast where I get a friend to watch a Tom Cruise movie they've never seen before and then review it with me. I'm your host, Cara Westworth, and today I'm joined by my sister-in-law, Britt. Hello, thank you for having me. You're welcome, Britt. Thank you so much for doing this with me, uh, offering to be the person to help me review Mission Impossible Fallout. It's been so exciting. It's actually been such a long time coming too because of this podcast. I've been watching all of the Mission Impossibles weekly and then listening to the podcast after and getting like the hot takes and stuff. So it's been very, very enjoyable. That is amazing. And I thank you profusely for doing that. That makes me feel like this has all been worth it. All right. So Mission Impossible Fallout. This is the movie that made me fall in love with Tom Cruise. Uh, That's pretty much the easiest way to sum up why I love this movie. I guess because it's such an absolute fucking banger that (laughs) I had no choice kind of thing. Like, yeah, I watched it and I was like, oh, that was so good. I can't hate Tom Cruise after seeing something that good. And then I kept reading up on Tom Cruise and everything and then talking to people about stunts and stuff. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. It's done. I'm a Tom Cruise fan. It is a ridiculous film. It is. Uh, Well, before we get into everything, just on face value, what did you think? I thought it was fantastic. In the the lead up to it, I was kind of, I was really scared to get spoilers and stuff like that, which is amazing because I've not watched any of the Mission Impossibles before this year. uh, And it's incredible that none of the movies have actually been spoiled for me. Like I've seen like Charlie's Angels and like that one scene in the Spice Girls movie, which I referenced back to them. But other than that, like (laughs) every shock, every twist, every turn, has been a, a full surprise for me. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> especially because it's like I'm such a pop culture junkie anyway. And I was gonna like prepare a little bit for this podcast and like do some research and stuff. But then seeing your activity on Instagram over the last couple of days, I was like, well, shit. I'm just gonna be teaching or telling Kara how to like suck eggs, like little Tom Cruise eggs. Um, <laughs> I decided to do no research uh, and just be positively delighted by all the facts you're going to tell me today. <laughs> Wonderful. I kind of like it like that because, you know, you can be like the audience being like, whoa, I didn't know that. Whoa. Amazing. Uh, I have probably talked about it a lot in my Instagram stories, so they're not all going to be surprises, but uh, we'll see how we go. All right. So Mission Impossible Fallout is the sixth movie in the franchise. It is the second movie directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who has now written for Tom Cruise movies nine times, I think. So it's kind of like that. Pairing that, you know, I'm trying to think of examples. Tim Burton and Danny Elfman kind of, they just work really well together, I guess. So yeah, it is it is continuing the story of Ethan Hunt saving the world. And somehow, despite this being the sixth movie in the, in the franchise, it is the best. It is, it has no right to be this good. And it's infuriating because... You know, some movies can't even get to number two and be good. So I don't know how they keep doing it. Let's let's have a chat about what happens in the movie. Um, this is going to be a long one. I'm sure you've figured that out already. I have researched this so extensively. Like I watched the movie twice in two days. I was going to watch the director's commentary, but I didn't. I just watched it because I just wanted to enjoy it again. I've watched all of the behind the scenes a million times. I've listened to Christopher McQuarrie did a podcast with Empire Magazine, and it ended up being six hours long about this one <laughs> how many times have you seen the film like flat out do you think oh it'd be like 50 <laughs> for a while there it was like at least once a week holy mo- poor ben <laughs> well he's always asleep on the couch it's fine <laughs> but i wonder if you've ever had like tom cruise dreams as well you're just like have dialogue in your sleep like running <laughs> 
probably. <laughs> but also, because I watch it so much, I don't, like, I'm usually playing Animal Crossing or doing other stuff. So watching it again twice, trying to concentrate properly, so much I forgot about and missed because I just haven't watched it properly for a while. So I would actually that was love nice. to watch it a second time now as well because, like, knowing all the twists and turns, you, like, then go back and you're like, oh, I wonder if there were all the Easter eggs and, like, where the hints and clues were. So yeah. I would be keen to see this a second time as well, which is cool. All right. Well, now that we've uh, gotten through all that, let's talk about the movie and excuse all my interruptions, everyone. Okay, so we open in a different way to most of the other films because it opens on a dream sequence. Ethan Hunt is getting married to his former wife, Julia, who has is out of the picture. So I think it sort of sets it up that it's a dream straight away. And the person who was marrying them starts saying some really weird stuff about like, I don't know, I can't remember, but it was like stuff that made Ethan go, wait, what, what? Yeah, it goes from like the, the wedding vows into almost like the promises he had to make as an agent. Mm, yes. So he looks at the person who is marrying them and it's Solomon Lane, who was from the last movie, who is bearded and looking very different, but it's definitely Solomon Lane. And he ends it with, you should have killed me, Ethan. And then he wakes up in Belfast in a cold room. Oh my God. I, I could probably speak 10 minutes just about this scene because Christopher McQuarrie talks about how he made that room look cold <laughs> and which is all very interesting being a film nerd. But I also thought watching that, they're like, we had to make it look like this room was really cold. I'm like, do you know what would have made it look cold if Ethan Hunt wore a jumper instead of a shirt? Well, he's sitting there in a shirt and with his shoes on. It's like, who naps like that? <laughs> he has to but be quick like, to run. <laughs> I wonder like how dream memories work too. Because I would have thought that like, wouldn't Solomon Lane be the Solomon Lane that Ethan Hunt has seen before as well? Not That's a really good point. Why? Why? <laughs> Just... <laughs> oh no, we're going to pick the shit out of this. Shit. <laughs> Uh, uh, maybe he, maybe he's encountered Solomon Lane since then. He knows. I don't know. That's it's a weird oh effect, you know? <laughs> He hears a knock at the door. There's like a courier or someone at the door and he like holds the gun up. And the guy says, fate whispers to the warrior. A storm is coming is the reply. The courier says, warrior whispers back. And Tom Cruise says, I am the storm. I am the storm. Which I mentioned that because I'm getting that as a tattoo at some point because I love that so much. And it's like <laughs> very point, subtly like, fallout. This movie's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's given his uh, mission. It's in a Homer's Odyssey book. Uh, it's a tape recorder in, cut out in it, which is pretty neat. Little tape recorder cut out. And it's a brutal about... prick that made me flinch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't they just zap he, like to his eye? Uh, I think they were going old school for that one. It's hemoglobin or something. <laughs> yes, sure, he was a healthy agent. <laughs> So the message is about the syndicate and how since Solomon Lane was captured, it's gotten worse because now they're basically made themselves terrorists for hire and have like, like a smallpox broke out and in um, Kashmir and all sorts of stuff are happening. There's been a, a manifesto by a guy called John Lark who is like basically threatening to do awful things in the world. You know what? Manifesto is full of shit. There's a missing nuclear scientist and they think that with and uh, there's some plutonium that is going on sale in the black market. So they think the syndicate are going to try and get the plutonium. They've captured this scientist and they're going to make three big bombs. So the mission is, you got to stop that, mate. And we cut to Berlin and Ethan and Benji are together. They're going to meet the seller of the plutonium. Luther is in the van and it's like kind of cute and they're all like having some banter. They're all really 
too. He's got like a full suit on and everything. Yeah, I know. Benji's going like full, like Ethan Hunt kind of thing. Benji's really nervous because he's meeting, like, you know, they're meeting a pretty bad dude and they're kind of teasing him for being nervous. And he's like, well, I bet you get nervous, Ethan. He's like, no, I don't. I'm like, are you sure? And I'm like, I never get nervous. I'm Ethan Hunt. And it's possible to be relaxed and uneasy at the same time. <laughs> but this little like moment of banter I put down as my first Tom Cruiseism because he's like being all smart arsy and has a little smile laugh. Yeah, little, just like a little subtle Tom Cruiseism smile. Yeah. As they're talking about the money and the guys turn up, Luther's van goes dark. Obviously, there's some bad dude is going to uh, interfere with this meeting. Uh, is this the first time you're actually a bag of money in the whole series as well? It's seeing money. I think so. Ethan Hunt asks for the money. Like, obviously, Luther doesn't respond. So the arms dealer's like, shoot them. And then there's a big shootout. There's a third party there shooting these arms dealers. And yeah, all hell breaks loose. Uh, Luther's held hostage at one point, And Ethan, being Ethan, can't let Luther die because you know, even though it's these three big plutonium balls that are, you know, in the wrong hands are going to cause devastation, that's just not Ethan Hunt's style. So he ends up, sh- he shoots Luther in the chest, but he has a bulletproof vest on, so he's okay. But in the meantime, in all the fuss, they lose the plutonium. We immediately see the effects of what happened, or so we think, because we see uh, Wolf Blitzer, the CNN uh, news host, talking about three bombings in uh, three holy sites around the world. And the scientist, Nils de Brooke, is in hospital and he wakes up to hear this news and is all delighted because his plan with John Lark and everything came to fruition. Ethan does this bit where he's like, step out, Luther. I'm going to fuck him up. And I go, it's not you. Like, as if Luther could hold back. But as it turns out, it's just a big ploy to trick this guy into giving all the details to, to find out luck. Benji, for the first time in the whole series, is wearing a mask. It's actually <laughs> he like finally gets to wear a mask. <laughs> just so happy for him. <laughs> No, and he's like so stoked. Like, it's probably not the first time he's worn a mask. Like, it's we've probably not seen all the missions where he's worn a mask, but you can still see he's fucking stoked. He's like, did I do good? How was I? I so they've basically managed to get uh, the information they need to pursue John Luck. They've tricked the scientist. And now we have the opening title, 15 minutes into the movie, which is pretty wild. It's another one of those opening sequences where it shows what's happening in the movie. And because everything in this movie is fucking incredible, it is an incredible opening sequence. So- just fucking Tom Cruise either running or jumping off something. It's amazing. Uh, so we go to an airstrip where Ethan is meeting Huntley, which is Alec Baldwin's character from the last movie. Uh, he is now actually the head of the secretary of the IMF. He's moved across from the CIA when he says something about, like, people said this was a lateral move or like a going down, but you convinced me to move over. Yeah, he I says believe in us. about the IMF, which is kind of surprising as well. You're like, oh, he's fully on their side now. Yeah, he's fully on their side. I guess after that amazing trickery with the uh, minister in the last movie he was like oh this is great i want to do this all the time (laughs) so they're basically going they need to get the plutonium and they found this a woman who is basically an arms dealer who most people think is like a philanthropist socialist kind of person but she has the plutonium and she is currently going to meet be meeting john lark to sell them ethan has to get there capture john lark wear a mask of john lark's face and intercept the plutonium which sounds really easy except all of a sudden, the head of the CIA, sorry, the director of the CIA, Erica Sloan, who is played by Angela Bassett, she turns up and she is a tough lady. She's a boss bitch. Yeah, she's like, 
shut him down. And behind <laughs> her is a very handsome fellow known as August Walker, who is played by Henry Cavill. Uh, yes, Henry Cavill's in this movie and it is a good time for my eyes. He rings up and sh- like they shut the plane down. Basically, the plane can't go unless the CIA sends their person, which is August Walker. Because of Ethan losing the plutonium, the CIA is like, nah, we don't trust you. So we need you to take our guy and do it our way kind of thing. And she says a really good line, which I love. Uh, she's like, you like having a scalpel. I prefer the hammer. So Ethan's the scalpel. August Walker's the hammer. Uh, he's a notorious... Yes, <laughs> He's such a hammer. He's built like a fucking hammer. My God. So they go up in the, this huge big plane. So the plane is pretending to be a commercial. So I think it's meant to be just a normal plane. Pretending to be a big aeroplane up really, really high. So they have to do a halo jump and they explain it in the movie. But basically a halo jump is high altitude, low opening. So you actually jump out way, way above, like where people down, like no one's going to see you. And, and then so you get in undetected, you actually open the parachute really low. So obviously it's really dangerous. That's hard. It's... <laughs> It's a, a lot. And uh, yes, they did this. So this wasn't just, you know, film trickery just doing a normal parachute jump. They literally did a halo jumps to film this. Yeah, I, I'm probably going to spend a lot of time on this bit. So what actually happens in the scene is that Ethan, sorry, yeah, Ethan is telling Walker what's going to happen and Walker's just being a real smart ass about it. Um, they put their helmets on and he, Ethan's trying to explain it to him. Like Walker can't even operate his stupid air thing properly. And oxygen's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan goes to have a look to see before they jump and there's a big, huge lightning storm happening. So it goes back to be like, we have to rethink this. Like, this is too dangerous. And Walker's like, get out of my way, Hunt. Pulls his air thing out and just pushes him away like like a little kid and <laughs> just marches off and like, I'll see you in France. Bums away. <laughs> <laughs> and just jumps out. So Ethan has to go out after him. It's such a dick move. <laughs> it's such a dick move. Like, it, <laughs> you're meant to fly out together. So he just pulls his air out. You fucking douchebag and so these helmets don't exist in real life until this movie because they built them specifically to be lit up and so that you don't have just have their faces covered by a big oxygen mask just to prove that Bob Cruise is doing the stunt right yeah. yeah pretty much but because they couldn't just be you know just for looks they actually had to work so they had to build them properly and then like the air force had to test them to make sure they actually worked so I imagine this is probably a technology they'll use moving forward it's pretty wild oh that's so cool like because they also had to make sure like the lights obviously because there's oxygen going in there they had to make sure the lights never emitted a spark so they had to use special lights and everything super super intense uh have you ever watched the behind the scenes of them how they film this no it's on youtube uh i highly recommend it so the way they did this was they had one of the cameramen had to learn how to skydive so this is all shot digitally because obviously a big film camera would be too hectic but they had to mount the camera on his head and he had to basically walk backwards as ethan's walking off the plane and just be like a few three feet in front of him the whole time (laughs) so and he falls off backwards and then Ethan falls off and Tom Cruise had to get within three feet of this camera to be within the focus because the guy can't see anything he just has to guess how to pull focus to make sure that Tom Cruise is in in frame and in focus the whole time so it's it's hectic like watching the footage because there's like multiple people because even though Tom Cruise is an experienced uh, skydiver they still had all these people there just in case Mm. helping them out and like you watch the video there's like one person is walking backwards filming the camera guy who's walking backwards filming Ethan and hunt and yeah it's, it's amazing so they filmed it in three parts uh they filmed the initial falling off they filmed the part where uh there's the tumbling in the air so basically walker being the fucking dickhead that he is gets hit by lightning immediately fall- <laughs> falls unconscious so ethan has to not only chase after him he has to grab him and try and he's trying to wake him up has to give him his oxygen because his oxygen has been knocked off they're like in the air and then he has to when they get to the range where they had to pull the chute he has to pull walker's chute and may hope that he has woken up 
and then Ethan pulls his like at the last second barely in time not to go splat on the pavement yeah so they film that in three parts it's everyone should just watch it it's really really cool how they film that um <laughs> it's one of those things as well they kept going this was the most dangerous stunt and then I watched the next stunt the behind the scenes and like oh this was such a dangerous stunt I'm like it's okay it was all dangerous we get it they, every stunt they did was the most dangerous what a stressful time for the crew I know like, and they also the way these you're like man I really want to kill our main actor <laughs> yes so like they have stunt stunt coordinators and all these people you know organizing the stunts and everything but they often a lot of these stunts and everything are a little bit on the fly like this one wouldn't have been but other ones are where they just have to figure out how to do the stunt in a fairly short amount of time yeah it's wild because they like oh we found a great location they're going to give it to us for two hours how do we do this so so, yeah very stressful and just knowing that he could go splat like I think the only part where it wasn't Tom Cruise is when he presses the shoot for Walker and then he kind of flips himself over to do his own that wasn't Tom Cruise because that was like that was yeah too dangerous even for Tom Cruise so they land on the Grand Palais which is a beautiful old building in Paris so there's a big rave going on and they have to get in there and basically find Lark they've uh, worked out that to get into the White Widow's party that she's hosting you have a special wristband and on the phone they got access to the, the information on the wristband so they're able to track him yeah like what is the cover charge to this party like those wristbands would be like 50 bucks yeah. each. this is a high high party well know? I guess because it was like a fundraiser that the White Widow was hosting you probably paid like a thousand dollars a ticket or something ridiculous and then yeah I'm guessing like it looks like that kind of fancy party but for some reason it's in a venue within the Grand Palais that's also holding a rave I'm like okay I guess like you have to walk through the rave to get into this like really swanky fundraiser party party. (laughs) so they land at the Grand Palais the scene that they cut out because it was an amazing amazing stunt but it just was making the movie too long and wasn't really necessary to explain how they got from the roof down there are big steel cords and Ethan climbs along one undoes once does a big swing back grabs Walker who's not expecting it and they swing back over the over the big rave they use their propulsion to smash through a window it's an amazing stunt it's a shame it's not in the movie but you can see behind the scenes of that one too totally unnecessary it's so unnecessary but it was such a cool stunt like especially because like Ethan grabs Walker and Walker's like whoa and then like just is falling and it's making fun of I have to admit I spent the morning uh, reading a lot of uh, Fallout fan fiction <laughs> and that I can assure you there would be a lot more fan fiction about that very <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't read. I haven't read much. I've mostly only read a little bit about Ethan and Benji. But one, <laughs> one I read was the most flowery, ridiculous thing I've ever read. Like I spent ten minutes just laughing at one line. It was so. Oh my god. I've got a line okay. for you later. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. So they get into the venue. They're scanning for uh, what's his name, Don Lark. They work out that he has gone into a bathroom. They're walking through this big uh, rave. Tom Cruise is looking, uh, walking through in his little white shirt. My, my sister and I are for some reason are obsessed with that bit just of him like trying to get through the crowd they find him they go into a bathroom he's in there the widest bathroom in the world like heaven like the cleanest bathroom in a rave I have ever seen in my life <laughs> it must life. have been early in the night because <laughs> That's right. It's not going to stay clean for long. So they've narrowed it down. They've figured out, okay, this must be Lark. And plan is Ethan has this needle thing that he's going to put into John Lark's neck. It's going to make John Lark seem really drunk. And then they're going to scan his face. Ethan will take his identity, meet the white widow, Bob's your uncle. Uh, The problem is they have someone sort of get in the way when Ethan's about to strike. And that gives John Lark a chance to realize, oh, shit, there's some people after me. So this starts one of the best fight sequences I think I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so good. Like, it's so 
if you've seen the movie True Lies, which is another one of my favorite movies, there is a really cool bathroom scene, but it is nothing like this one. This dude who is a famous stunt actor, he was meant to be the stunt double for whoever was going to be John Lark. And then just like, uh, let's just make him John Lark. Oh, see. He... <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just, yeah, absolutely brutal from... So the first thing they do, they start punching and then Walker just picks up the this chunky laptop thing that they use to make the face masks and just went whack right in his face. Like the, here's the hammer and uh, all mates the scalpel. Um, like he nearly smashes the screen and everything, nearly ruins the whole plan. But they knock him out. Uh, they take him into a little stall and uh, trying to scan his face in this mostly smashed laptop. As they're in there, four dudes come out from the rave. Oh, wow. yeah, the lads, they're such fucking lads. I hate them. Uh, they notice that there are multiple sets of feet standing in the bathroom and they're like, <laughs> let's go be sleazy at them. And we don't bite. <laughs> let's all have sex. So gross. Uh, <laughs> When they're like trying to scan and everything, John Lark actually regains consciousness. And as soon as those guys walk out, there's like a very brief but explosive fight sequence just within that one cubicle and they all sort of smash out. Super hectic because Lark, uh, sorry, Lark gets thrown through one of the big mirrors uh, really dramatically by Walker. And lots of just one-on-one fist fighting and they swap. And this guy is like a super duper martial artist as well. So he's kicking both their asses significantly. And like, there's so much I can say about this scene, but the main thing, about it that everyone I hope knows about by now even if they've never seen the movie is there's a part where Walker is thrown to the ground and he takes off his jacket and then he just reloads his arms like he cocks his arms like it's a fist cock (laughs) I like to call it Uh, he does, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen like that trumps pretty much everything that Tom Cruise does in this movie the director Christopher Corey is like every time everyone really reacts really strongly to that he's like meanwhile there's like these stunts that nearly killed Tom Cruise but everyone's like oh do you see how he cocked his arms <laughs> like this, this thing that he just did on the fly anyway I think it makes the whole movie like um, there's also a fun bit where I saw it in a YouTube video where they were looking at how the stunts were done and there's a part where Ethan's thrown to the ground and he kneels down on like a, a step near the urinals and you can actually see it sink in a little bit so a lot of it was for this really firm foam so that when they were thrown around it didn't really hurt oh, yeah it's really cool John Lark is very very close to shooting Ethan Hunt right in the face uh, and meanwhile like August Walker's like sprawled on the ground just as you think Ethan's gonna get shot in the face he gets thrown back and Ilsa Faust also from the last movie has turned up and saved Ethan's life by shooting John Lark in the head which is great because Ethan Hunt's not dead but also sucks because their plan is ruined because you need a face in order to make a mask. So they very quickly work out, uh, Ethan's just like, I'm going to pretend to be John Lark. Let's hope they haven't met. Walker's like, that's not a strategy. And Nilsa's like, hmm, well, you're new. It's not a strategy? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, lol, that's IMF's like only strategy. <laughs> And I also love like they set this up for the rest of the movie, but Walker just keeps trying to introduce himself to everyone, and they're like, they just refuse to introduce themselves back. And he's like, like, and he's like, when he comes out, and she she's standing there with a gun, and he comes like peeking around the corner, and like his little hands go up. Oh yeah. (laughs) Like this fucking giant man who just this big fist fight is like peeking around. It's very cute. There's another thing that I loved as well was when like you know Walker's knocked out. Tom Cruise has also like almost been knocked out as well, and he's got this look on his face. It's like I'm defeated. Then he looks up and he's like, All right, and, like gets just back gets up. up and like just runs just into like... yeah, and they smash through a wall. Uh, yeah, this is one of the first ones I think where let Ethan Hunt look tired. Like he actually just is like, he, like oh, Jesus Christ. It's also the first one where Tom Cruise looks like he's actually aged. Like even in the last one he still looked Tom Cruise like I don't think it's a bad thing I this is a movie that made me fall in love with Tom Cruise so I think that was part of 
it. Yep. So big fight on my notes uh, to signify the cocking of the arms. I just wrote bam, bam, because that's, that's <laughs> all I think about when that happens. Oh, when they, they also go, and this is a very important point that you may have missed because I missed it the first time I watched it. When Ethan goes and searches John Lark's body, he grabs his wristband so we can get into the party and he also pulls out his phone, which is all smashed. So important thing for later. Yeah, so Ethan is basically going to this party. He goes in, Ilsa follows him and she's trying to talk him out of going in, but she cannot say or refuses to say why. He's like, you, do, you don't know what you're getting into. And he's like, I don't know what I'm getting into. What am I getting into? The first bewildered <laughs> Tom Cruise in this movie. Yeah, but he goes in, he meets the White Widow. Uh, fun thing about this scene. So they go in and she's doing this speech and... I don't know if you caught it, but she mentions that her mum's name is Max, who was the arms dealer in the first movie. Oh, I was, she was talking about paradoxes and I thought earlier, Alec Baldwin talks about like the fact that, you know, he only saves his friends against saving the world. And so I was like, oh, you know, there's like kind of the trolley paradox, trolley problem yeah. thing going on here. And then she talked paradoxes and I was like, well, maybe that's time. Well, it's big, I think because in, in a few weeks since I watched the first one, but I think Max in the first one does talk about how he's a paradox. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she does. And then they have this like, Dirty, yeah. flirty <laughs> That's surprisingly flirty movie that made no sense. <laughs> yeah, so Ilsa won't say why. Like, as far as I think Ethan kind of thinks that maybe she has to kill Lark. And so she's like, ah, shit, now. Turns out that's not the point, but we'll get there soon. Uh, they go in. She me- He meets White Widow and she's all, all flirty to Tom Cruise as well. Just like mother, like daughter. And Ethan is pretending, like, playing up that he's like this big bad dude. And he's like really rough with her and really mean. And her brother tries to intervene and anyway like the Tom Hardy bind wish Ethan warns her because he knows from Ilsa that there are assassins there to kill John Lark so he sort of twists it around and says there are people here to kill you you need to come with me so you'll be safe so he gets her out of there and there's like a bit of a fight where and she even has a few stabs gets a really cool knife out of her garter belt stabs yeah, a few butterfly knife right on garter and I was really like I was so happy to see Ilsa back in general but Ilsa had flats on yeah. in this fight so the last movie, every five seconds, she was like, take my shoes off. But like this one, nah. She, she, she learned. Also, probably because the um, actress, Rebecca Ferguson, was heavily pregnant when she filmed this movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, she might not have been that pregnant there, but she was. But, but in the final scene, she was seven months pregnant, which is pretty wild. Uh, she even does her cool wow. thing where she does her Ilsa takedown. Like she comes flying off and uses yeah. her leg to like knock It's so good. But she kind of just disappears with the crowd because she's not meant to be there. Walker and Ethan leave with the White Widow. They go back to this very, very fancy mansion where they think they're going to go buy the plutonium but as it turns out White Widow's just a broker and that the deal is the seller wants someone broken out of prison to give the plutonium and Ethan looks down and there's a photo and he pulls it out and it's Solomon Lane Solomon Lane with his beard as per the start of the scene you'd be so dirty yeah. you'd be so upset about because even like <laughs> what's his face Walker is looking like why is Ethan so into it why does Ethan because Ethan says to White Widow she's like who is this man we, don't, we, know, we know he's a bad guy but who is he and Ethan Hunt sort of goes through all the shit that he did to be caught in the first place. He's yeah. And yeah, the job is they have to break him out of this armored vehicle because he's being transported the next day. And then there'll be a meeting point where they can sort the plutonium for Solomon Lane. And then there's a nice little flash forward scene where they go through the plan and like Ethan's faced with having to shoot a cop, like kill him because everyone's standing right because he has to play this role. But I was like, what has he become? Because <laughs> it was like war style, stylistic, like slow and music like it did feel a bit off and then that happened and I was like oh my god this movie has taken a deep turn <laughs> well, apparently the director wanted to take Ethan to a very dark place but they didn't have time so that was kind of his <laughs> his uh I mean it's a two and a half hour movie so you know only so much you can fit in there they're just in 
dream sequences. This time. <laughs> yeah, they love it. more dream sequences in this one movie than in the entire series, which was different. <laughs> but also, Kristen McQuarrie said because they've always been different directors for each film. So for this film, he wanted this to feel like a d- very different movie to the last one, so it felt like a different director. So that might be why he did yeah. that. After yeah, flash forward, kill- Ethan killing the cop, and like it cuts back, and he's like, "We have to kill everyone." He's like, "You draw the line at killing cops," and she's like, "That's John Lark you're talking to." He's like, "I kill women and children with smallpox. I have no line." Like real good acting, Ethan. You need cold shower after that, surely. <laughs> so for good faith, they give him one ball of plutonium to show that they actually had the plutonium. So they uh they have to meet up the next day and go through this crazy plan. In the meantime, Walker meets up with Sloan at the uh, Court of Human Rights at the Eiffel Tower. And if Ben will ever edit this fucking photo for me, I tried to recreate a photo from the movie where it's Sloan and <laughs> Walker talking, but it's just me in the photo talking to myself. Anyway, I, we took the photo and Ben hasn't edited yet, but he promised he will for this podcast. Guys, comments. Get in the comments. <laughs> we need to see this dumb picture. <laughs> he tells her about the plan and she's like, this is bullshit. We wanted we wanted John Luck to break Lane out. We didn't. We don't want Ethan Hunt doing it. That's where Walker insinuates very heavily that he believes that Ethan Hunt is John Luck and it's like, maybe he set it up that it was a decoy John Luck and that so he arranged for his lady friend to kill him so now he gets to assume his own role pretending he's working for the good guys. She's like, well, where's your evidence? And he says, it's all on this phone we pulled off the body in the bathroom and hands her this phone and there's no cracks on it. It's shiny and new. And this is where I was like, mm, like things are not odd as they, as they seem because I was like, surely a movie this big budget wouldn't have a continuity yeah. error like that? And then I was like, I don't trust this. Well, I was like, that was how they were saying Walker is the bad guy. I missed it the first time I watched it, so it took me ages to work out. It wasn't until the big reveal later that you find out Walker's a bad guy, but this is, yeah, this is the point where you go, right. oh, okay, Walker's giving a dodgy phone. He's setting Ethan up. He's obviously the bad guy. And I said, no, it wasn't that it obvious wasn't? to me either. Oh, I was okay. like, well, that's the moving because the big reveal wasn't. <laughs> we cut to the next day. They're all in position for the big Solomon Lane heist. The plan is, so they need to d- basically divert the cavalry of cars and vehicles that are escorting him to the to the new location. They need to divert it near near the River Sign. Sen? Is it River Sen? I don't know. And so they, the way they do it is they just have this big truck come out and just flip over. And so they have to divert. I don't I don't actually know what the plan is. I think they just get out, stop them and just shoot everyone and take Lane. This scene is like very Batman-y as well. Like with all the city drama and the cops doing all their things, it had a real like Batman vibe to it. I, I found a lot of people with the truck going into the water thought it was like a bat- one of the Batman movies that happens. And Christopher McCoy is like, absolutely not. Like it was just we needed to put a truck in the water. It did not mean to look Batman-y. So you're not the only person who's seen that. <laughs> so Ethan, because uh, as a Walker keeps like he's like a fucking giant child. He's like, is it true that Solomon Lane did this? And Ethan's like, yep. He's like, well, is it true that Solomon Lane did this? And he's like, yeah, okay, it's all it's all true. Because <laughs> I was like, this just reminded me so much of Dumb and Dumber, where he's like, do you want to know the most annoying noise in the world? <laughs> And then, like, a bit later on, there's, like, the comically people, like, rolling around in the back of the van, which I've seen in Dumb and Dumber as well. Like, they all come out, come in. <laughs> so this whole bit, I was just thinking about Dumb and Dumber and I couldn't get it out of my face. Now that's all I'm going to be able to see now. <laughs> 
<laughs> so Ethan doesn't do what the plan is. He actually, he's set up a little camera so he can see when the truck is just in the big armored truck that Lane is all strapped up in. As soon as it's in front of where his truck is, he just floors it, smashes into the armored truck and pushes it into the river. And that's when all the guys in the background are flying everywhere. And then once that's out, he just zooms back reverses. When they get out onto the main road, they go <laughs> flying out in the road. The cops start chasing. They get chased in the little truck. They get away by taking this little truck into a tiny lane and just wedging it in, which like how many fucking beautiful old buildings did you ruin for this but it worked because all the cops behind them had to then climb over a truck to get them they jump on motorbikes walkers off Ethan Hunt's bike doesn't take off at first so he's nearly caught zooms off but now that's left Ethan on his own and that means he has to be chased by the police by himself because they should have been able to get away and just sort of melt into the crowd and get away but now he's being chased by cops really badly so he like buzzes Benji and Luther who they in the meantime uh, Benji is in a wetsuit he goes in and gets Lane oh oh we've got about the scene one of the other iconic moments of this is when Lane is in the back of the thing and it starts filling with water and he's panicking so he just he's got like a straight jacket on so he just goes that's blowing out all his air and then just holds his breath but they've got that weird like rotating camera thing where you can see the water yeah like the, the van is spinning as it's falling into the yeah, ocean it's a really cool scene because yeah you're, the camera's saying still but it's so beautiful Benji actually cuts him out and rescues Lane before he drowns and they're in a big speedboat Ethan says uh, I need a uh, a bailout measure with a blue point or whatever so they turn around and zip off to meet Ethan so thus we have the most amazing motorcycles chase ever uh, it's through the streets of Paris so if you've ever been to Paris they go past all of the iconic things it is all Tom Cruise it wasn't meant to be because it's all cobbled streets it's really really dangerous on with most motorbikes because it's very slippery and they're going to have a special rig to actually do a lot of the driving around the rig fucked up on the first day of filming so hey, Tom Cruise is just like I'll just do it so I think I held my breath the entire because <laughs> so, like there's one bit and it's so well choreographed and they also had French stunt drivers so apparently there was a lot of language problems and like he really got hit a couple of times and it's because there's a bit where he's zooming to the left of a car but that car is actually turning left so he has to like really zoom around to not get hit basically they end up at the Arc de Triomphe and there's an amazing scene where on the wrong way. he goes on and he's going the opposite way to traffic and the cops are following him and he's just weaving through no helmet because he never wears a helmet and just weaves through and yeah doesn't die somehow yeah the Arc de Triomphe which is like a nine lane roundabout so <laughs> the first time I went to Paris with my mum and sister we were standing there looking at it and mum's like I wonder how many people die on this roundabout every every day and yeah. then that night and then <laughs> that night my mum got hit crossing a road in Paris and nearly died so <laughs> <laughs> Like, mom, stop tempting fate. But yeah, so it's very dangerous looking and Ethan gets out unscathed. There's a really cool bit where he gets to another kind of multi-lane intersection and stops and just like starts spinning around looking and there's like just cops coming everywhere. So he like does a big spin and belts off one direction. And just as you think he's getting away, he turns around to see where everyone is, looks back, there's a car suddenly there. He T-bones the car, flies over it, does a big roll. All real too, by the way. If you slow it down, it looks CGI-ish. And Ben and I had an argument last night about it being CGI or not but I'm like the director explained how it was done like it's the bike was just set up on a rig to stop really suddenly and then Tom Cruise was on a cord that pulled him off and then they spliced it really carefully with Tom Cruise rolling towards the camera like you think you have a hard day after going to the gym (laughs) like imagine how <laughs> uh, in the behind the scenes like Tom Cruise is talking to some of the stunt guys and he has this big gash and bruise on his arm and I'm like oh my god that man must be just 
Oh, Jesus. Fucking Yeah, so he goes flying, but luckily he was right near the rendezvous point, so he just gets up, he pulls out a big knife out of his weird, like, knee pads that he was wearing. He just comes out of <laughs> And he just, like, yeah. he hobbles off. And there, another Tom Cruise. I've actually been noting Tom Cruise's as I go along. Oh, yeah. Running, yeah. <laughs> and he r- jumps over this bush, and it's actually, like, a big mesh thing, and he's fallen through into the sewer. That's right. And, sewer. yeah, mm. it's uh, all the cops are like, oh, where did he go? Sacre bleu. And it's because the boat was underneath, and they <laughs> just cruise off and like Ethan's just sitting there kind of looking a little bit disheveled I'm like that man just came off a motorbike and then fell into a sewer and like wild which is like there's a juxtaposing scene like while this is all happening which is like the white widow's henchmen they like get all get out of this big truck but the truck's sides fall down and they all come out but they're all really stylish and they like are all muted so it kind of looks like the start of like a tap down <laughs> Because they're all really buff too. They're really buff dudes. All getting into their really expensive cars. <laughs> That's amazing. I was like, I'm going to pick up a trash can to start a beat. <laughs> I'm never going to see anything about that Oh, wonderful. They meet at a garage. They've got Solomon Lane with his big hood on and they put going into this tiny little green BMW and... All BMWs. I love that it's like an old W this time too. Apparently it's a, it's a racing, like it's actually a proper racing car, like from, I guess, the oh, 60s cool. or something. It's very, very cute, very French looking. As they're loading Solomon in, they open up the garage door and there's this lady cop standing there, like writing a ticket. And she's like, obviously very green because she's like, oh, stop, don't move. And they're like, and Ethan... Had, and a friend of mine messaged me about this. I just watched Fallout. Did you get a big lady boner with that French lady cop? I'm like, fuck you. Because he's he's so gentle and kind to her. And like, yes, it was very nice. I, I liked it. Yes. He's like trying to talk her out of like, you know, just, just walk away. It's fine. And she is kind of almost convinced. But then the White Widow's brother, whose name I think is Zola, uh, his goons come and like, just shoot her and go, Zola needs a word with you. Uh, Ethan's like, uh, one guy goes to finish off the cop. And Ethan's like, what do I do? What do I do? And and instead of letting the cop die because he had that flash forward and was like, nah, I don't like that. He just shoots all the goons. <laughs> She's like six men. <laughs> so the one cop. And then like he goes up to the lady cop and is like, call for help. And then he just kind of cups her, ha- her face really gently and says, I'm so sorry. And that's why I, that's why I got that message from that friend because it was very nice. It was very Ethan Hunt being very kind to someone who didn't deserve to be shot. You're like, Ethan can shoot me if he touches my face. <laughs> I know. Too, like, I I'll, I'll take a shoot in the, shot in the leg. Like, you know, if I get shot like the guy in a, uh, what's it called night and day that it just goes to clean through and then I get to my face touched by Tom Cruise like that's fine actually that's like a new Tom Cruiseism because in that movie he does he's really he kindly shoot like someone gets shot and he like really kindly like reassures them anyway that's another t- thing Tom Cruise does is reassure someone after they've been shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah they uh, then have a really epic chasing uh, chasing yeah so as they're driving along someone up on a bridge all dressed in black on a motorbike you probably know who it is based on the last movie wonder who it is <laughs> Uh, starts shooting at them and they're like oh shit they, so they stop under the bridge everyone but Ethan and Lane get out oh actually before they get out <laughs> Walker's like hi I'm Walker and Benji just goes what's the little car your idea no one no one will say who they are to him he's just like trying to introduce himself and they're like fuck you dude you big idiot so anyway they jump out of the car and Ethan just takes off and I fucking love this car chase scene so much like this tiny little green BMW zooming around 
around being chased by, as it turns out, it's Ilsa on a motorbike. Just the stunts. Like the the main stunt that he does is he is driving in a little, little lane and there's some steps. And so he, do, he does the handbrake, spins around backwards and flies backwards down the stairs and then just lands and keeps driving. And even like professional stunt drivers would struggle to do that because you have to change gears midair and do all, these, do all these things. And I tell you what, that, that I want to be a stunt car driver so bad just to do that once. I swear to God. This whole chase scene, my notes, I just wrote, <laughs> it's so it's the whole time I was like gripping so my well chest. done like they're zooming <laughs> down a street and then Ilsa sees a way to cut them off and zooms off and like manages to cut and like as she's zooming through past all these columns all the air's going past her it's just really well done and also this scene didn't have any music because whenever there's a motorbike chase motorbikes sound awful like can't, you have to have music over them because it just doesn't sound nice but cars actually have a sound good when they're doing stunts so there's no music in this so it's all just car sounds and yeah she cuts them off confronts them that's when they realise it's Ilsa and she has a gun pointed at them and Ethan's like split decision just floors it and hits her as she's trying to shoot them and what, the last movie where she's oh yeah stop I didn't even put that together it's like revenge oh, this time it was like not this time babe <laughs> <laughs> just boom, go she's hit and as it's zooming off um like ethan's like shaking his head like damn it i didn't want to do that and solomon lane's like that was ilsa very interesting he's like shut up he's like very nice to see you ethan so the ethan takes lane to the rendezvous point uh lane is having his big like villain spiel and like there's a bit where he goes you should have killed me ethan and ethan's like boo that was my dream but meanwhile luther is and he says he says fallout out here too yeah. so I've been paying attention all of the movies that are named they actually say the name yeah. of the movie in it and I was like I wonder if they say fallout in this one and they do because he's like the blood's on your hands the fallout yeah. Yeah. like it's a, it's a very good villainous spiel I reckon so they're getting the tracker out there's a big tracker out like earlier on when they first get him they just put something on a patch on to stop the tracker from being red but they have to obviously get it out and you can hear like uh, choppers and stuff getting closer Luther gets it out and they put it in a drone and Benji just flies a little drone away so <laughs> Which is very simple, but very clever. Ethan kind of has like a bit of a moment with Lane because he says this stuff that kind of, I I don't know if they're trying to sort of set up that maybe there is a chance that Ethan's going to turn. Like, I don't know, his expression in that is kind of like. They're like, like you were saying before, they're kind of like Batman and Joker. Like they kind of exist together. They could be each other. They they are absolutely the Batman and the Joker in the way they've set this up. The fact that they've brought him back, like Ethan ends up having a meeting with the White Widow right by the River Seine with the Notre Dame in the background and like watching that there was like no one on the footpath if you've ever been to Paris in the last 15 years there is not a time of day or night where everything isn't crawling with tourists at all times that's the only unrealistic the really unrealistic thing I found about this movie is like when he's able to drive anywhere at all even on a motorbike without much traffic or tourists I'm like unrealistic like there should be just fucking tourists everywhere they must have just spent half of the film's budget on just shutting down streets yeah. in Paris but I can't imagine that's a thing well uh, which I forgot to mention before doing the Arc de Triomphe thing they asked and asked and asked if they could get it and finally they were like look on a Sunday morning we're shutting we're shutting it down on a Sunday before we need it you can have the two hours beforehand and half of the first half an hour of that was going to be still be dark so they only had an hour and a half and they had to do that entire thing setting up for the stunts and everything in one hour 
an hour and a half, like, which is wild, just because they wanted to do Arc de Triomphe because it would look cool, which it did. And like, they had to quickly get like 40 cars in. And yeah. So yeah, like, it's the whole thing is just like, imagine being the assistant director, which is the assistant director, I think, or the sec- second AD are the ones who do all that. Like, they actually like make sure they can close down streets and all that stuff. Like, what a fucking nightmare. I hope they got paid a million dollars for that. <laughs> he talks to the White Widow and she talks about, you know, what happened. And he explains, I didn't trust, I didn't trust anyone. Your brother's plan stunk. So I did my own thing. And she's like, eh, family, what can you do? And you know, they have a talk and she says, who was the woman? I think she killed some of my men. Uh, you know, we saw her at the party. We saw- and she's like, well, if you want your plutonium, I need her too at the rendezvous point in London. And he's like, no worries. I don't care for her at all. Whatever. Then White Widow gives him a big sneaky pash for no reason. A big but, Big power move, I think, on her part. was just like, I think you're sexy. Because she makes a joke about how I thought you'd be uglier. So she's just like, I'm going to give him a big smooch now to seal the deal. Just a little cutaway as well. We get to see Ilsa and Ethan meet up. Ethan's walk leaves the meeting. Ilsa is following him. She like, look around the corner and there's the back of Ethan. And anyway, they end up in this... It's such a spy movie oh, it's thing. Such a spy, like, little... that's, I think it's the most spy movie thing that they've done in this entire franchise so far. And like, he's in this beautiful courtyard, this tree-lined alleyway thing. And they talk and he's like, what are you doing here? And, you know, he figures out her job is not to was not to kill Lark it was actually that she needed Lark to break Lane out because she needs to kill Lane because she's back with the MI6 they wouldn't let her go or she you know if she tried to escape she'd just be on the run for the rest of her life so to prove she's loyal because she spent two years being undercover with Lane she now has to which they said I know her like, it's so like why would you want you this job so who wants this job like it's thankless you die you disavowed like I don't understand like I the world can get fucked it can save itself I'm it's not worth yeah. it no wonder, no wonder they turned yeah, bad. I know, that's what they want. And then they had this horrible rate of everyone turning bad. Like, oh, surprise, who knew? <laughs> like, I'm going to train you to be this absolute weapon, like a full weapon against countries. And then I'm going to do something really shit so you don't like the business that you work yeah. for. Like, it's fucked. Awful. Every single country, it must, it's all the same. That's where the syndicate started up. It was all the different people from all these different, all the yeah. different ones from around the world. It's a union, yeah. guys. <laughs> We demand not to be disavowed. God damn it. She needs to kill Lane because MI6 do not want all these different government agencies questioning. So he's just been like going from different government to different government being questioned. But because he was former MI6, he's got some really intense secrets. So they're like, we don't want. So it's her job to kill him so that everyone doesn't find out the MI6 secrets, basically. You know, Ethan's like, you should have gotten out. And she's like, you should have come with me. And I got many feels in that. She's like, basically, I have to prove my loyalty. I'll do whatever it takes. Please don't make me go through you. and it just has another little dream sequence of Julia and Lane for some reason. And they then go to London. And uh, now that we've gone for quite a while, would you be okay if we cut it off here? Okay. I'm so excited. This so much I think more. we're only like third of the way through the movie. This might be a three-parter. We'll see. Okay. So we'll cut now. We'll come back next week with the next part, the final, or maybe the second part of three. We'll see. We'll, we'll do it as we go along. Britt, can we grab some info where to find you online after this? Um, I'm on Instagram at Britamon. Excellent. And you can find me on Tom Cruise Reviews on Instagram and Tom Cruise Review, no S, on Twitter or my website, TomCruiseReviews.com. In the meantime, please make sure you go watch Fallout so we're not spoiling this movie completely. Yeah, and uh, let me know what you think of Fallout so far. In the meantime, we'll catch you next week. 